Our Father in heaven, Lord, we are grateful and thankful that we have this time together now. Your word is powerful. Your word gives life. Your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts right through us, Lord. Cuts right into our hearts, separates things in our souls one from another and shows us the truth and shows us where we ourselves are in error encourages us, teaches us about you, teaches us about how we're supposed to serve you, encourages us and builds us up in the faith. We are thankful for your word, Lord God. And I'm thankful that we can read it now, talk about it now, preach about it now. And I pray, Lord God, whatever, you know, there, there, are, as many, there are as many like situations as there are people in the room, Lord God. And every one of us just comes before you today maybe with a different need or at a different place. Maybe some are strongly rejoicing. Maybe some are struggling. Whatever the situation is, we pray that through your help in the Holy Spirit and the preaching of your word, that your purposes would be accomplished in us here today. I want to especially pray for anyone, Lord, maybe who's here today who needs to come to faith in you, Lord Jesus, to have that blessing, that gift of the forgiveness of their sins and the promise and the hope of everlasting life, that today might be the day, Lord God, that through the preaching of your word, they'd recognize their need for your salvation, and in faith, they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him and be saved forevermore. We pray that you would accomplish all your purposes and receive all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, I'm going to read it here in a moment, but to just give you a little context, uh, Philippians is a book, a letter, that was written by the Apostle Paul when he was in prison in Rome. And actually, at some point in the sermon today, we're going to go over to uh, the end of the book of Acts and read a little bit about the imprisonment uh, from which uh, uh, the Apostle Paul writes. And uh, he's writing, and you can see that, as we talked about two weeks ago, if you remember that, he's in a... Uh, a very like positive frame of mind, even though he's in prison, which is remarkable, right? He's very encouraged, and he's very, he's very encouraged, and you're going to find out today in this middle section of chapter 1 why he's so encouraged, all right? Uh, he's encouraged because of the situation, what's going on, and he's encouraged for a deeper reason than that as well. All that comes out. But in the first part of this, we read about just his love and his joy, just how much he enjoyed the fellowship of these Christians at Philippi. And to see that, I didn't take the time to do that, and I'm not going to today, but you you would have to go back a little bit farther in Acts to Acts chapter 16 to see where uh, the ministry at Philippi began and the circumstances of of all of that. Paul actually spent a night in a jail in Philippi way, way back Um, And that's not referred to here necessarily, but Paul had a really good relationship with these Christians in this church that the Lord used him to to actually raise up. And so he writes to them, and the book starts off with this wonderful uh, uh, statement, the key phrase in it being uh, in verse 5, when he says, when he rejoices and says he prays for them, because he's just thankful for their fellowship in the gospel. You see that in verse 5? You remember that? He's thankful for their fellowship in the gospel. Paul was encouraged by these people 
There are some other specific things he mentions in the letter later about how they met his needs and how they even financially supported him and how he knew that they loved him and everything else. But the thing that he was most encouraged about was their fellowship in the gospel. Fellowship means to share. Paul saw this group of believers at this church in Philippi as a group of people that shared with him in the ministry of the gospel, meaning that two things. Number one, they themselves were diligent about sharing the gospel with people in their own city in Philippi. That's evidenced in the growth of that church. And they saw his ministry going wherever he went as being like their own. You know, that's why I say to you like about Melissa and Addie and where they're going. In a sense, you can almost like have a little ownership in that because it's like, you know, they grew up here among us and, and, and they listened to the word here and they fellowshiped with you here and you said things and did things that encouraged them and their families and, and everything else. And so they, 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 the Philippian church saw Paul's ministry as their own. And so they were sharing in the gospel together, right? And so we saw that. Now we come to chapter 1 and verse 12 and he gets a little more specific. You get a little more detail about the situation and you can see what it is that he's rejoicing in and then he makes this absolutely remarkable statement about why this is so important to him. There are are a couple of just really eye-popping statements Several of them in this, in this section of the scripture. So with that background, you ready? Here we go. You know where Paul is writing from. And, and just one more thing I have to say. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm not just adding this off the cuff. I thought to say this and I almost forgot. When I read from a letter like Philippians, you'll hear me make reference to Paul a lot. Because I think that the Bible is supposed to be studied and read and understood in context right? So the Bible is not just a collection of random sayings and people look up verses and they randomly quote things and stuff like this. God, especially in the New Testament, God saw fit to reveal his word to us through the lives and the experiences of his servants, right? So when I say Paul said this and Paul said that and Paul did this and Paul did that, that's just to contextualize the writing, but I don't want you to be distracted by all the references to Paul. This is God's word. When we read about what Paul puts forth as like important for Christians, that's from God to us. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church, but listen, it's a letter from God to us. Remember that context, okay? So you'll hear me say Paul, Paul, Paul a lot, but, but it's God's word, okay? All right, good. I know you know that, but I think just every now and then, and I've said that before, just every now and then it's good to stop and, and to remember that because the Bible, though delivered to us through the pens and experiences of people, the author of every word of the Bible is God. And even Paul himself knew that when he said all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Right, so Paul knew that every word of the Bible is from God. All right, here you go, ready? Philippians 1.12, listen to this. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me 
have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to, dep to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Amen? Let me show you something really cool. Last, the, the message I did two weeks ago emphasized the... Let's play a little game here. This is called, What is the Title of Lou's Next Sermon Going to Be? Ready? Here we go. So, so two weeks ago, you know I got the title from verse 5, Fellowship in the Gospel. If you look in the bulletins today, you see that I got the title from verse 12, Furtherance of the Gospel. If you peek ahead to verse uh, 27 or so, it says, Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. What's the title of Lou's next sermon going to be? Yeah, isn't that cool, the way that just worked out? See, all those preachers who always have three-point alliterated outlines, even God put one right in the English version of the Bible here for us, right? The furtherance of the, go uh, the fellowship of the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel, and the faith of the gospel. There you go. So you're already, and we don't even need to preach it. You already know where it's going, so we can just go home now, right? Come on, laugh, laugh. Wake up, everybody. Laugh. Say ha-ha, somebody. Let me know you're awake. Signs of life, everyone. All right, here we go. Good. Now, in any case, starting in verse 12, now he starts to like really get into the situation that he's got, that he's in. The greetings, the expressions of love and joy, the thankfulness, the promise of prayers for them, 
All of those were wonderful situations as he was rejoicing over that they shared with the gospel with them. That set aside, now he really gets into the heart of where he's at. And this reveals so much for us. Just as we saw in the opening section of this, that even though Paul was in prison, the thing that he rejoiced over was that these people shared in the ministry of the gospel with him. And so the thing that was really important to Paul was the gospel, that the gospel was being preached. And he's writing to this church because they shared in that ministry of the gospel with him. Now he gets into describing the circumstances of his situation, and you see, again, what he cares about is not so much how... like, Like, if you were to write someone a letter from prison... Maybe the first thing you would say would be, like, how you're doing, you know? And, uh, you know, they, 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 they're okay, it's, 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 it's not that bad, or I really miss you. And, and some of that is in here, you know, the food is okay, the food is lousy, um, we do this, we do that, I met this guy over here, gee, I can't wait to get out, etc., so forth. The first thing that Paul gets into when he describes his situation in prison is how excited he is that the gospel is advancing. That says something about, I think, the heart's desire of every Christian and what it ought to be. We all have difficult circumstances in our life. I know that the circumstance of your life today is not that you're in prison. I know that because you're here. And even though when I'm preaching you may feel like you're in prison, that's another subject for another day, you can laugh at that. i got to coach you guys with my humor today. I don't know why. Everyone had a really long Christmas or something. But, but I, know, I know that you're not in prison by virtue of the fact that you're here, right? Smart guy. So, uh, so you're, not, you're not struggling to that extent, right? Even though we do have battles and we have hardships in our lives that do feel like prison some, sometimes. Isn't that true? But he's writing from prison, and, and the first thing that he says is, man, this being in jail thing, this has actually worked out for the advancement of the gospel, And so he's really excited because what really matters to him is that the gospel gets fully preached. How is it that somebody can have that? Well, we'll talk about that some. But I think think the important thing to observe is that you have exemplified in front of you here something that's very important to know about every Christian. And that is that the thing that we care about the most is that this gospel gets preached. Why? Why? Just contextualize life for a minute and then keep it there for the rest of your life. We live in a temporary place. Everybody is born. Everybody dies. Right? And life, the Bible says, is like a vapor. It appears for a short time and vanishes away. I didn't understand that so well when I was a teenager. I I didn't understand that maybe so well when I was in my 20s. I'm a middle-aged man in my 50s now. And... And I can see now the profundity of that statement that life is like a vapor because things just go by like this. And, and, and the older I get, the more it seems to go faster. And when you're younger, the thought of dying is like reprehensible to you. You don't even think about it that much when you're younger. And when you do think about it, it's like, man. I, I, but as you start to get older, the thought of the end of your life starts to become like, eh, it's, just, it's, it's part of life, you know what I mean? But, but for the Apostle Paul, those are just natural experiences for people. But Paul is completely outside of all this natural stuff. 
And he has a view of this life that is so real and is so focused and is so correct and proper that he's even able later in the passage to say, I I can't even choose between these two things. I don't know if it would be better for me to get out of prison and come and be more help to you or die here. I mean, it's a very real... I mean, you remember the circumstances that got Paul in prison at, at first was he had appealed to Caesar because of all of the accusations that the Jews made against him in Jerusalem. Paul was a Roman citizen, even though he was a Jew. And so when he was being threatened with execution in Jerusalem by the Jewish religious leaders, he decided to do something that Jesus didn't because Jesus' call was to die and Jesus just in the flesh was not a Roman citizen. Paul was a Roman citizen and he appealed his case to Caesar and so he went to Caesar. But you need to understand, uh, going to Caesar to hear your case, have your case pleaded before him, meant you might be exonerated and it meant you might be dead. So there was a very real chance that if the accusations of the Jewish religious leaders in Judea persuaded Caesar and his representatives, Paul could die. And Paul is like, he, Paul is like torn. I don't know which is better, for me to die or for me to live. Because if I die, I get to go be with the Lord. And if I live, then I can continue to serve the Lord about the gospel. Paul had this focus on the fact that this life was a temporary place. And the real experience of life comes when this life is over. God created the heavens and the earth. And when God created the heavens and the earth, everything was perfect. He created Adam and Eve, the first two people, and he put them in his own garden. And the Bible says it was so perfect that God himself walked among them every day. Most of you know the story. Eve was tempted by the serpent. She took and gave of this untouchable fruit to Adam, and they both ate in deliberate violation of God's law that he had made for them. And they died spiritually. They didn't physically die that day, but spiritually they died because God left them. The Garden of Eden was shut, and they were banished from the presence of God. That is the natural state of every one of us. Listen, that is why the world is the way it is. That's why there are wars. That's why there is sickness. That's why there is crime. That's why there is murder. That's why there is trouble. That's why there is so much immorality. That's why there is so much lying. That's why, is there, that's why there is so much evil and sin in the world is because the first two people sinned And it has been going on since then, from the beginning of time. Just to make it clear, listen, God gave laws to people. And you know where I go with this. But God gave laws to people. God did not give laws to people because, okay, now if I give them my laws, now they'll know what to do and everything will be all right. That's not why God gave his laws. God gave his laws so man can clearly see without any excuse codified in God's own words that they are sinful. You shall not lie. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. Honor your father and your mother. 
Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And on and on and on and on are all these commands of God. And you wonder why life is a vapor and appears for a short time and vanishes away. You wonder why life is so full of trouble. You wonder why. It's because we are by nature and by choice sinful, rebellious against God, even to the point where it's in vogue to deny that he exists, even though the evidence of him through everything that he has made is clearly seen and even the eternal power and Godhead of God is understood simply by looking at the things that are made so that we are without excuse. The Bible says, evil, evil, sinful, short lives. Paul had this focus on what life was really about. Paul knew that life was short, but he knew that the gospel, the gospel was his only remedy, and the gospel was this world's only remedy for sin. The person who lives their life here and now and dies in their sins without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ That person is hopeless because when God sent Jesus and when Jesus lived his perfect sinless life here on earth and then offered himself as a sacrifice when he was crucified on the cross for us. Listen to this. When Jesus was crucified for us, he was taking your place. When Jesus was crucified for us, he was receiving all of God's wrath against our sins for us just because God loves us so much. Because God loves us so much, even though mankind is completely corrupted and ruined and tainted and stained with sin and evil and wickedness, God's creation, which was perfect from the beginning, God still loved and had mercy on all of mankind. Everything we do flies in his face to the point that he can't even dwell with us. And the Bible says that God has given this world up to commit all of the evil and the atrocities that it commits. Even so, he still loved the world so much that Jesus came and offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment that you deserve for all of your lies, all of your covetousness, all of your immorality, all of your obscenity and profanity, all of your deceptiveness, all of the dishonoring of your parents, all everything, everything. Jesus took it for you because God loves you. God, and listen, Jesus is God in the flesh. God took upon himself the just penalty for your sin because he loves you. And now, and now that gospel is Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. And all who will believe in him, all who will trust in Jesus Christ, all who will turn repent and turn to Jesus and receive him through faith by believing on him, God will wipe all of your sins away. God will reconcile you to himself. God will adopt you as his child. God will seal his promise in you by spiritually entering you. The Holy Spirit will come into you. You will forevermore be his. You'll still battle and struggle with things in life, just like Paul did and just like we all do. But because of God's grace, because of his love, you will be saved. You will be saved from the penalty for your sins, which is death. Your body will still grow old and die, 
or God forbid die even before he grow old. But, but you, you, our bodies will still wear out and die, but who you are will never die. That's the promise of the gospel, is that death, even though it touches your body, who you really are, your soul on the inside will never die. Why am I saying all this? Well, one, because it's true. And two, because this is what Paul had. This is why Paul can say, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. This good news that I just shared with you, this message that needs to still today be preached among all people and all over the world because it is God's only remedy for for sin. And it's the remedy of remedies because it's a complete, total, permanent cure sealed with the promise of his spirit and at the end of it all is everlasting life in his kingdom with him forever. Paul knew this. And so he could say, me being in prison is a good thing because it's actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. First he rejoices in the fact that this church had the fellowship of the gospel. They shared it with him. Now he's rejoicing because I'm in prison and me being in prison has actually caused the message of the gospel to spread more. It's advanced. And you ready for this? You ready? Okay, everyone, everyone really pay attention to what I'm about to say. The furtherance of the gospel that Paul is speaking about, you're sitting in it today. You, you hearing these words of life today in this place, thousands of years and thousands of miles removed from when and where it happened is because it's written down in the Bible. So Paul being in prison has even resulted in the furtherance of the gospel right here, right now. This is being preached today because of what happened to the Apostle Paul and then it got wrote down. That's how God works. This was the most important thing to Paul. And as I started off, this is why I introduced the message like this. This is the most important thing to God is that the gospel continues to further spread. There are two ways that the gospel was furthered. What's it say? So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ, right? Who is the palace guard and all of the rest? Paul was a prisoner of Rome, but he was a royal prisoner. He was a Roman citizen. He appealed his case to Caesar, which as a Roman citizen gave him the right to have his case heard either before the emperor or one of his representatives. So Paul was a royal prisoner in the Roman Empire, right? which meant either exoneration or death. I mean, that was it. Like, because otherwise you'd have everyone like, appealing their cases to Caesar, right? Every, even guilty people like, oh, I appeal to Caesar. Just to, no, if you appealed your case to Caesar, it's because you were either going, it's going to, like in the Colosseum, it was going to be thumbs up or thumbs down. Exoneration or death. So Paul appealed to Caesar. And so the palace guard is a reference to the royal guards. And the rest, who are the rest? All of the other people around Caesar's household. Listen, influential people in Rome. Paul said, this is great. What do you mean this is great? Paul, they falsely accused you in Jerusalem. 
I don't have time to read to you how Paul got to Rome, but Paul got to Rome by way of shipwreck and being stranded. And I mean, it was tumultuous and hard and difficult. And it's a miracle that he even made it to Rome. But all along the way, Paul was preaching the gospel to people. He was almost dying and sharing the gospel, almost dying and sharing the gospel. This was Paul's life, right? And so then he gets to Rome and he's in the royal palace and he has the opportunity and he's like, you know, this wasn't like miserable. This is awesome. I can share the gospel with these people. There was the focus. There is, brothers and sisters, where God wants our focus to be. This is where God wants the focus of this church to be and of every church. We are a band of brothers and sisters together who love God because of what Jesus did for us. And we desire now in that love to take this message of his love and share it with everyone. That's what we need to be. That's what's being extolled here. That's what's being placed in front of you by the words in this letter is a guy who's in prison saying, yeah, awesome, I'm in jail because I can spread the gospel more. And, And you know what? He rejoices over two things here, doesn't he? He rejoices because now the whole palace guard and all of the rest, all of these unconverted, lost Pagan Gentiles that are close to Caesar himself, they have evidence, what? That my chains are in Christ. Listen to what that phrase means. When he says my chains are in Christ, what he's saying is, they have begun to recognize that the reason that I'm in prison is because I represent the Messiah. In other words, he's saying that these Romans are beginning to see, I'm not a dangerous man, I'm not an insurrectionist, I really haven't committed any crimes. There really is something to this Messiah that I'm preaching. These palace people, these Roman royals, they're starting to see that this Jesus Christ that I preach, there's something to that. That's one thing. But then the other thing is what? And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What a powerful statement that is. So not only were the lost pagan Romans beginning to see that really there was something to this Messiah that he was preaching, but the Christians who were in Rome, the Christians who were in Philippi, the Christians who were in all these other places, Ephesus, all these other places where he wrote letters, Colossae, uh, Laodicea, all these other places where, where, where ministry had happened. They were seeing Paul and hearing reports about Paul and about his faith and about the advancement of the gospel, and they were growing bold. They were growing encouraged. So, there's a word you can say there, I think, about enduring hardship. There's a word that you can say there about how our conduct affects other Christians. If Paul were in prison, listen, if Paul were in prison and did not have this Christ focus, if Paul were in prison and and, were, and was not so much in the spirit and not so much about the furtherance of the gospel and just turned the focus on himself, woe is me, my rights are being violated, I am going to fight here, I'm going to stand, fight. Listen, Paul fought no carnal fight. You want me in prison? Here I am, but I'm going to preach Christ. 
right? But if Paul had turned to become carnal, what effect would that have had on all of these other Christians who hung on his every word, who watched how he lived? No, but Paul... Paul was rejoicing because the gospel was being advanced in two ways. Number one, it was being directly advanced because the people in his immediate presence in Caesar's palace were hearing the gospel, but it was also being indirectly advanced because all of the other Christians who were aware of him were becoming encouraged. And look what it says. They were were more bold to speak the word without fear. Hey, If Paul is here and he's happy and he has joy and peace in his heart while he's in prison and God is actually using him while he's there to preach the gospel to more people, what am I waiting for? I'm going to get out there and I'm going to share the gospel with people in my life. When I go back into the shop, I'm going to share it with the people that work there with me. When I go back to my school, I'm going to go and share it with my friends there. I'm going to go and I'm going to invite people to come and hear this word wherever they were. At the church in Laodicea, at the church at Colossae, in the churches in Ephesus, the churches in Galatia, the churches all throughout Asia Minor, the churches all throughout Macedonia, the churches all throughout Greece and everywhere else, even all the way back in Syria, the churches in Antioch, even all the way to Jerusalem. When the believers heard, they were going to become bold and they were going to go and share the word of Christ with others. And that's what you and I are called to do. Come, go to your friends, go to your neighbors. Like I said uh, last week, be a pest. You know, be diligent about it. Please come and listen to these things. I feel like we live in the day and age where if like this happened to somebody, and they ended up in prison because of, like, the gospel, we would just complain and fret and and scream about our rights being violated. Paul, there's none of that. This is awesome. It's a chance to spread the gospel more. And it happened. And the fact that he did that encouraged all these other Christians. Yeah, you know what? This is why we're here is to spread the gospel. And they became more bold to speak it. Brothers and sisters, if you hear nothing else that I say today, and please hear everything else that I say today. But, but if, if for some reason you don't, please hear this. This is why we're here. You and I need to become people who spread the message of this gospel, whether it's by whatever means, giving out literature, talking to people, certainly praying for people, inviting them to come in and hear the word. But this was the focus of their lives. This was the focus of Paul's life, was the spread of the gospel. It's not just a religion. It's not just a little component of our lives. It's not just an opportunity to make some new friends. It's not just like an alternative, like sort of a a, a softer, less sinful alternative to the entertainment of the world. When Paul wrote 2 Timothy, he told him that no good soldier entangles himself in the affairs of this world that he may please him who enlisted him. That's God who enlisted us. He says an athlete only wins if he competes by the rules. He says the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Right? 
That's, that's, that's how we ought to be. And he's talking to young Timothy. And he's writing to Timothy and he's telling him, you stir up the gift that is in you by the laying on of my hands. Timothy had been called to preach the gospel. And he tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of my chains. Be a partaker of them. Because all that mattered was that the gospel was being preached. Now, verse 15 Do you see see what I, as your pastor, and I say that, I say that like, not with any high and mightiness, because being your pastor is a position that I have, but I don't consider myself to be over anybody or anything like that. I'm, I'm one of the brothers in the congregation. I just have some different and special responsibilities and accountability that goes with it. But, but can you see where I, as your pastor, want this to go? I want, it, I want us to be living in this. We're not experiencing Christianity the way the Bible puts it forth unless we're living in this. I want to live in this. I'm not saying I want to go to prison. But I'm saying that I want to live in this. I want to be one of these guys, the ones in verse 14, the ones who are confident and more bold to speak the word without fear. And I want that to be all of us together, not just me. And some of you are, and some of us aren't. And sometimes as a church, especially in America, where we don't really suffer the way Paul is, it becomes very easy to kind of change church into something else. It becomes very easy to just kind of get comfortable and, and sort of not participate in this. But man, I want us to be in the middle of this. I want to see us pestering, bothering, inviting, preaching, as, as Jude says, dragging people from the fire, pulling them in, I know God is sovereign. I know that he saves his elect. I know that that no one comes to God unless he draws them. But you and I are called to go and take the gospel to every creature. God will be the one to decide who he draws, who is his elect, who he saves. That's got nothing to do with us. What you and I are called to do is devote ourselves to the work of this gospel, taking it to people. What's the explanation before Jesus when we all stand before him one day? If we've not devoted ourselves in our lives to preaching the gospel, what's the explanation for it? What is the explanation for it? I've yet to have anybody tell me. What would be the explanation from a Christian for not being an active part of the preaching of the gospel to the lost? We need to be where these people are. That's why the book is in the Bible. I'm convinced that's why this letter is in the Bible, is to show Christians, here's where Christianity is at. I love these people because of their fellowship in the gospel. I want my life, whatever the circumstances may be, to be about the furtherance of the gospel. And I want to devote myself and stand on the faith of the gospel. That's two weeks from now. That's what we want. 
here is, here is a tremendous statement of a heavenly attitude. You ready? You ready to hear a tremendous statement of a heavenly attitude? This is astonishing. Here, here comes in this next section what I think is the most amazing verse in the passage. And then it's immediately followed by what I think is the most important verse in the passage. Okay? The most amazing verse and then the most important verse. Back to back. Ready? Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife. Some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Now, verse 18 is the most amazing verse in the passage, and then verse 19 is the most important verse in the passage. But, see, I led you to water, but I'm not going to let you drink. I have to do something first. You have to understand what Paul is talking about, because that's, that's a strange statement, isn't it? Because that's hard to reconcile. Some preach Christ from envy and strife. What? What do you mean they preach from envy and strife? Some from goodwill. The former, from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. So, so while he was in Rome, he was experiencing the fact that uh, there were some people who were preaching Christ but not not motivated in their hearts by, by, by what was happening to the Apostle Paul, they actually thought the Apostle Paul deserved what he was getting. They thought Paul was deserving of this and they preached the gospel out of a heart that wanted to see Paul stay there in prison. Hard to believe, right? And then there were others who had it right. They knew that Paul was in prison because God had appointed him for the defense of the gospel. Why? This is where we need to turn back to the book of Acts, and then I'll come to those two verses I was talking about, all right? So go to Acts chapter 28 and verse 17. Here's where you need to see with your own eyes what was going on. Acts chapter 28. It's the very end of the book of Acts. This is Paul in his imprisonment in Rome. Verse 16 of chapter 28 says, When we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Paul was a very popular prisoner because on his way to Rome, I don't have time to go over it all, but all sorts of things happened, and even the people who had to, were charged to take him to Rome came to realize that God was with this guy. All right, So Paul, though a prisoner, was treated very well. Verse 17, ready? And it came to pass after three days that Paul called together the leaders of the Jews. This is what Paul did in every missionary trip that he went on. First thing he did when he went into a city was he went to the synagogue. You know his background. He was formerly a Pharisee. He was formerly very, formerly very opposed to Christianity. And so when he went into a city, the first thing that he did is he went to the Jewish leadership to explain who he was, what he was doing, what had happened to him, the truth of the gospel. So he calls together the Jewish leaders. And when they came together, here's his speech that he makes to the Jewish leaders, right? In Rome now. 
There were a lot of Jews in Rome. Eventually, they were persecuted and chased out of Rome. But at this point, there are still Jewish leaders there. Men and brethren, though I've done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called you to see you and speak with you because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. So that's Paul's way of saying the reason I'm in prison is because I'm telling the truth about the Messiah. Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. Listen to this. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. Do you know what that sect was? That was us, the Christians. That's what Christianity was viewed as in the first century. It was viewed as sort of a strange sect of Judaism because of its devotion to Jesus and what else? It welcomed Gentiles. It welcomed Gentiles into it just through faith in Jesus, not by circumcision or by actually converting physically and religiously to becoming a Jew. It was just a group of people, Jews and Gentiles together, who had faith in this Jew, Jesus of Nazareth, so they supposed. And so to the Jews and even to the Gentiles, Christianity was viewed very much as like a sect, this weird sect of Judaism. Gentiles were suspicious of it because it was like causing upheaval in societies amongst the pagan gods and the pagan religions everywhere else. The Jews didn't like it because they were allowing Gentiles to come into it without being circumcised. And so everyone saw it as a threat and it was evil spoken of everywhere except among those who had received the Holy Spirit through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and knew that they had the gift of everlasting life. You follow that? So that's what they say to Paul. Now, So when they had pointed a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning till night, you think my sermons are long. So they came one day in the morning, and he kept them there till night, and he opened up Moses, meaning the law, and he opened up the prophets, And so, in other words, he took his Old Testament, which, of course, would have been not what it was called. It was all they had. He opened up the Bible, the Old Testament, and started in the law and went all the way through the prophets, through the whole thing. Took the whole day into the evening to explain to them concerning Jesus that he was the Messiah. What was their reaction? Some were persuaded by the things and some disbelieved. So he had a mixed bag. He had some who believed. He had some who didn't. So when they didn't agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. What do you think that one word was? It was the same word. Well, you'll see it here in a minute. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, and he quotes from Isaiah 6, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. He's saying, he's, he's applying these words of Isaiah to them, which is correct. 
For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they've closed, lest they should see with their ears and hear with their ears, uh, see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the, here comes the one word, Gentiles. And they will hear it. And when he said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Paul spent two years in his own rented house, receiving all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him, and doing what else? Writing the letter that we're reading today, Philippians, right? So what happened there? Paul preached the gospel to the Jews first. And what happened was a great dissension arose and there was great disagreement. You can go back to Philippians now. There was great disagreement among them. And because of this great disagreement, there was even among those who believed about the Messiah, there was even those who did not believe that Gentiles could just come in by believing. But they still believed that Jesus was the Messiah, right? Weird. Weird that such a division would arise that quickly. Well, maybe not that weird. People are always people, right? So anyway, in Philippians, when Paul talks of some who preach from envy and strife and some from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add infliction to my chains. Those are the ones who did not believe that, uh, that, that Paul was suffering because of justice. They, they, they believed that Paul was suffering because he was a troublemaker. They believed in Jesus. They believed the message. But that they thought, they thought that Paul was causing trouble by so easily welcoming Gentiles in or whatever else. It's not stated there, right? But, but they, there were some who went and preached Christ supposing that their way of preaching Christ would actually show that Paul deserved to be in prison, which is why it says they supposed to add to my chains. But then there were also those who recognized that Paul was in prison because God had appointed him to be there for the defense of the gospel. Those were the ones who preached from goodwill. Those were the ones who preached out of love. Those were the ones who preached sincerely, right? Now, now you understand what he's talking about. Now comes the most amazing statement in the whole passage in verse 18. What then? What then? What, 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 what might you and I say? What then? Oh, I wish that these people who are preaching Christ but are trying to add to my chains, I wish God would just smite them and replace them with people who are preaching, understanding that I'm here for the defense of the gospel. That's what we might say. That's not what Paul says. Here's what Paul says. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice Notice the repetition, the defiance. Yes, and will rejoice. It's astonishing because what he's saying is, these people can go and preach, and I don't care if the way that they preach results in me being killed, as long as they're preaching Christ. That's all Paul cared about. I, some years ago, I don't know when, I drew a big circle and a big black pen around the words, Christ is preached. Because that's, that's all Paul cared about. If people hated him, he was fine with that as long as they were preaching Christ. 
If people loved him, he was fine with that as long as they were preaching Christ. All Paul cared about was that Christ was being preached. What an amazing statement. Now, to me, that's the most amazing verse in the passage, but it's followed by the most important verse in the passage. You ready for this? Here's why Paul is able to have such a Christ, a Christocentric focus. Here's why. For. Lots of really important verses in the Bible start with the word for. You know that, right? John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. When a sentence starts with the word for, it's because he's giving you a reason for something. In other words, the reason that Paul is able to be so focused on the preaching of the gospel as his only joy is, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, ready? Through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. They prayed for him. And God the Holy Spirit helped him. That is the most important thing in the life of any Christian. That we are praying, that we are praying for each other, and that we are living and walking and standing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, our attitude will not be what Paul's is. Paul's attitude is, I don't care what people think of me. I don't care why they're preaching Christ. I don't care what happens to me. What I care about is that Christ is being preached. And here's why. Because I know all this is going to work out for my deliverance. Because you're praying for me and God the Holy Spirit is helping me. I was, I was intrigued by that word supply. The supply of the Holy, the, the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And, and I think some of the modern translations pick, up, pick that up with the word help. That's the idea. It's not that the Holy Spirit is a thing that gets supplied. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is God and he lives in us. And the idea of the supply of the Spirit is that it's the help that the Holy Spirit gives us in our hearts. So Paul walked in the Spirit. Paul was filled in the Spirit and these Philippian Christians, among many other Christians, prayed for him. Paul knew everything was going to be okay. Listen, regardless of the circumstances, even if he ended up dead, he knew everything was going to be okay because the Holy Spirit was helping him and because these people were praying for him and the gospel was being preached, the gospel was being preached. He was able to have that spiritual strength, that spiritual insight, that spiritual perspective, that spiritual attitude because he walked in the Spirit. When we walk in the flesh, we're hopeless when it comes to this. When we walk in the flesh, no matter how much we say it or think about it or desire it, we have no chance. We must walk in the Spirit. What does Ephesians 5 say? I was going to have you turn there, but for time's sake, what's it say? You know what it says. Don't be drunk with wine, wherein is dissipation or excess, right? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart and all the rest of that. But the idea of being filled with God's Holy Spirit, it's contrasted with being drunk with the excessive wine drinking. In other words, I believe the idea is that that wine drinking is emblematic of any earthly, carnal, 
spirit, uh, 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 any earthly carnal thing that we might engage in that captures our hearts. We all need to eat. We all need to drink. We all need to breathe. We all need to take a little break. We all need to rest. We all enjoy certain things. But what's important is that you don't let any physical pleasure govern your life. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit and the flesh, they don't walk together, have you noticed? They don't abide together very well. What's important is that you keep your mind in the Word of God. What's important is that you keep yourself in prayer. What's important is that you devote yourself to spiritual fellowship. What's important is that you devote yourself to the work of the Gospel. And you walk in the Spirit. And so the Apostle Paul is able to say, I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Look, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ may be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. He's saying, what Paul is basically saying here is, you're praying for me, the Holy Spirit is helping me, My expectation is I'm going to come out of this okay and I'm going to be be set free. And he explains it a little more at the end here, right? But he's not presumptuous about it. He expects that the way that this is going, because he's, you know, he spent two years there and he was preaching to people and people were getting saved and the gospel was being furthered and he knew these people were praying for him and and, and he was walking in the Spirit. So he's able to say that I'm, I'm not, there's nothing here that I'm going to be ashamed of. With all boldness, I can tell you that my expectation, as always, is that my, my, I'm, going to be, I'm, I'm going to magnify God in my body. But notice he says, whether by life or by death, at the end of verse 20. So he expects that he's going to be set free, but he's prepared for the fact that maybe he won't be. What a good approach. What a healthy attitude towards this situation. What a spiritual attitude that is. The gospel is being furthered. That's what matters to me. I expect, based on how this is going and the fact that you're praying for me, that I'm going to be let out. But if I'm not, the gospel's being preached and that's all that I care about. Wow. Can you appreciate, can you appreciate the example of biblical Christianity that's on the pages in front of us? Can you see why this writing has lasted for 2,000 years and people still read it? I mean, I understand it's God's word and God preserves his word, but, but this, is, this is amazing. It, listen, read, listen to some more of this. He says, he says um, this verse 21, everyone knows this, but don't always understand. For me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You understand what he's saying there? That's, that's a great big way of saying is, this is not about my personal desires. This isn't about me. What he's saying is, here's what it is for me. For to me, to live is Christ. In other words, if, if I come out of this and Caesar and his courts exonerate me and I'm set free, then what I have is the rest of my life to live for the very thing I've been living it for, Christ. I'm going to live my life for Christ. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to live for me. And to die is gain. That's the really startling statement. To die is gain. My status, my station improves if I die. For me to live is Christ 
and to die is gain. And he explains it. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I can't tell. He was torn. He was earnestly and honestly torn between the fact that he might live and he might die. Because if he lived, he could continue to serve Christ by preaching the gospel. And if he died, he was going to go and be with Christ. He knew which was better. It was the latter of the two. He says it. Verse 23. I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. I mean, for him, he recognized the better of the two things was actually if he died because he would be free from the sinfulness and the strife and all of the trouble of this life and this world, and he was going to go and be with the Lord. He knew that. But, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Because if he stayed on, then he could continue to preach, he could continue to write, he could continue to encourage. So it would be better for them. Verse 25, being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. What he's saying is, what I expect is that this is going to work out and I'm going to come to you. But if I'm wrong, he's not being presumptuous. If I'm wrong and I die, that's fine too. In fact, it's better. Why? Why? Because his focus was on the gospel. And, And listen, if you have a focus on the gospel, if you're preaching the gospel to people, understand that the the, 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 like the, 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 the final resolution of the gospel message is the salvation of a soul. And so if you're preaching that gospel and you embrace it for yourself, you recognize that the gospel is not just your message for others. The gospel is your own salvation. And so the thing that you earnestly desire in is to be with the Lord. And maybe you think, you know, this is really lofty. This is really idealistic. Yes, it is. But the thing that's amazing is We're not asked by God in our flesh, in our own mental faculties, in our own emotional faculties, in our own strength to ascribe to this. That's why I said the most important verse was the one about prayer and the help of the Holy Spirit. Listen, just on ourselves, what person can just in their own flesh decide, you know, the things that Paul is here? I don't care what happens to me as long as the gospel gets preached. I don't care if people hate me and are trying to undermine me as long as the gospel is being preached. I don't care if I die as long as the gospel is being preached. That's not the normal desire of anybody's life. That's a desire that comes out of a heart that walks closely with God. That is the desire of a heart of someone who prays, someone who is prayed for. so important that we pray for each other. And not just, Lord, please help work go well, please help school go well, please help their cousin heal. Those things are important, but, but, but read some of the prayers that Paul prays for people in the New Testament. Prayers about opening the eyes of their hearts, opening the eyes of their understanding that they may know with more richness and more fullness the mysteries of God and the, the pleasures of joys of His Spirit. Spiritual things, praying for each other. It's so important that we pray ourselves and that we pray for each other, spiritual things, so that The idea is as lofty and idealistic as Paul's attitude and view towards these things may be, it is reachable by every Christian. 
but not in ourselves. Only in him. Abide in the vine. To take it to Jesus' words, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can't do anything. But he says, abide in me. Abide in Christ. And the strengthening of your heart will transcend all of the circumstances of this life. Brothers and sisters, let us walk closely with God and make the desire of our hearts the furtherance of his gospel. Take your hymn books out and stand up with me and let's sing this last hymn.